he breathes his breath into us. So he picks up the disciples like a trumpet, fills them with his very own breath so they can go and be witnesses in the world. If this is your first Sunday here at Frontier, my name's Cole. I'm one of the pastors here. If you got a Bible, go ahead and get that open. Um, we're gonna be in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 this morning. My goal is to show us um, the Holy Spirit in the creation story. So like you guys know, we're taking a two-week break from our two-year-long sermon series on the book of Mark in order to celebrate and engage with uh, the season and tradition of, of Pentecost. So um, the, the season and tradition of Pentecost is extraordinarily, deeply, deeply, deeply rich. Um, and so let me just talk nerdy to you for like a second. I got to explain it and then we'll jump, uh, then we'll jump into the sermon. So um, the, the, the celebration of Pentecost is essentially the celebration of Jesus sending his Holy Spirit on the disciples in Acts chapter two. Some people call it the birthday of the church. That's all right. Uh, but technically we're celebrating Jesus's ascension and then his subsequent sending of the Holy Spirit. The word Pentecost is where things get really, really interesting though. So the word Pentecost actually comes from the Greek word 50th. So Pentecost literally means 50th. And what it means is it relates to how Jesus sent his Holy Spirit 50 days or seven weeks after his crucifixion. And it's actually this really beautiful narrative pattern all throughout the Bible. So in the Old Testament, they would celebrate Passover every year by sacrificing a spotless and blameless lamb for their sins. And 50 days later, or seven weeks later, they would celebrate Pentecost by traveling to Jerusalem and making a grain offering of gratitude. Now, here's where things go from interesting to incredible. Jesus frames his life around the liturgical calendar. So Jesus was crucified on Passover. So on the very day where Jewish men all around the world were slitting the throats of their sacrificial lambs to atone for sins, what was Jesus doing? He was hanging on the cross, bleeding for our sins as the truer and better sacrificial lamb. And 50 days later or seven weeks later on Pentecost, while Jewish people from all over the ancient world were traveling back to Jerusalem, taking their grain and lighting it on fire as a grain offering to God, what was Jesus doing? He was at the right hand of the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit like fiery tongues on his disciples and he makes them the grain offering that's pleasing to God. You see how that works? That's pretty cool, right? So that's what it means. Pentecost means 50th. And so during Pentecost, what we're doing is we're gathering together basically to celebrate the fact that Jesus did not leave us powerless. He didn't leave us alone. After his death and resurrection and ascension, he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us and indwell us. And so this week, I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit in creation. And next week, Carlos is going to preach on the Holy Spirit in new creation. So my sermon this morning is going to be kind of like a bad cliffhanger on a soap opera from the 90s, okay? My sermon... All it is this morning is an incomplete sermon. My sermon is the bump set. Carlos's is the spike. Okay. My sermon is the setup. Carlos's is the punchline. My sermon is the... Shoot. I got nothing else. Oh, yeah, there we go. It's the alley-oop and Carlos is the slam dunk. My sermon is... That's enough. You guys get it. 
I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy to give my, my sermon titles, but if I had to today, my sermon title would be this. If there is no Pentecost, there is no power. So let's pray and we'll jump into it. Come Holy Spirit, creator blessed, and within our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid and fill the hearts which you've made. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above, the weakness of our mortal state with deathless might invigorates. So praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. And may the Son on us bestow the gifts that from the Spirit flow. Would you make that a reality this morning, Lord? I feel, I feel the weakness of my mortal state. And so I pray you would send your Holy Spirit and invigorate. So it's in Jesus' name that all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. Little known fact about me. A fact that some of you know, and a fact that I personally think goes uncelebrated in the life of our church. And this fact is the fact that I am, believe it or not, a band kid. I don't know if you knew that about me. I don't talk about it a lot. It's not the illustration I usually use, but I was, and I think I always will be, uh, a little bit of a band kid. I remember the, the day in school where my life drastically changed. Maybe you remember this. I think it was like fifth or sixth grade. It was the day when they got all the instruments out and put them in front of the kids and introduced us all to the instruments. On that day, having a band instrument was cool. So I looked at all the instruments and I don't come from a musical family. I don't, you could probably tell. Um, I don't come from a musical family. So my family is not super musical, but on that day, instruments were cool. So I went back home that day and I said to my dad, hey dad, guess what? I'm gonna play the trumpet. And my dad was like, okay, cool. I'm not a musical guy, but if this is what you're into now, I'll totally support it. So they bought me a trumpet. Now, um, a week later, after I recognized that if I was gonna be a trumpet player, I was gonna have to practice it. And after I realized that I didn't have a musical bone in my body, I went back to my dad. I said, hey, dad, guess what? I'm quitting band and I'm done with my trumpet. <laughs> and I figured this is gonna be like not an argument whatsoever because he's not a musical guy. He's more of a jock, right? And so I figured he wasn't gonna put much of a fight up. And instead he said, hey, Cole, guess what? No, you're not, because you're not a quitter. So you are gonna continue to play this trumpet that we bought for you. So I was not allowed to quit band sixth grade or seventh grade or eighth grade. Freshman year though, I also wasn't allowed to quit or sophomore year, or junior year, or senior year. And so if you're counting, that means that for seven straight years, I was last chair trumpets. 
I was like, there's got to be some kind of record, you know. I was so bad at playing the trumpet that I'm not joking, okay. I'm, I was so bad at playing the trumpet that everybody who was ever behind me either quit or dropped out. There was always cold Ike in the very last chair to hold down the fort. We were good at band though. And the director always said, hey, we're only as good as the weakest link. And I was like, I'm the weakest link. (laughs) And we're pretty good. (laughs) So I'm pretty good. No, I was so bad at playing the trumpet that my director and I, we had an unspoken agreement that everything went better if I just didn't play. And so he would always get on, he would always get on the, all the other musicians for not playing along, but he knew I wasn't playing along and he was okay with it. And I knew that he knew that he was okay with it. And so I played into it. And so I just never really played along. I was just mostly there for the people, the friends, the conversations in between the songs. So I was, I was, I was that guy. But here's the thing about being last chair. If you are last chair, then you sit at the end of the row. So during concerts, I sat at the end of the row, which is the most visible position for any musician, which means that when my mom and dad came to support me, they saw it all happen. They, not musical people, but even Steve and Denise Dyke, bless their souls, were like, Steve... Your son's not even playing. (laughs) That's how you know you're in trouble when your mother refers to you, to your father as your son. Your son's not even, your son's not even, he's not even hitting the right valves when everybody else is. He's pretending to just play along. And so my parents always made fun of me for that. Like they would, you know, when I came home that night, they'd be like, hey, great job up there, dude. Wait up. Chloe's heard that story like a dozen times about how I wouldn't play my trumpet. And um, one day I, I decided to put up a fight with my dad about this. And I was like, you didn't, you weren't a musician. Who, who cares? I'm doing good at sports. I'm doing good at school. Who cares if I don't play the trumpet? And what my dad said to me, this was 15, 16 years ago now was, Cole, I don't care how bad you are at playing the trumpet. I just want to hear you play. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where somebody says something to you 15 years ago and 15 years later, it dawns on you that it wasn't about the trumpet. 15 years later, I realize now looking back at that, that he wasn't talking about the trumpet. That remark had everything to do with life with God, the Holy Spirit and bearing the image of God to the world. So let me say it to you once more. I don't care how bad you are at playing the trumpet. I just want to hear you play. I'll explain that in a second. Let's go ahead and stand for God's word. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. I want to paint us a picture. Well, not paint it. I want to show us the outline of a picture that doesn't get filled in until Acts chapter two in the New Testament. Watch the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is, he's not just like a a surprise New Testament character. He's right here, very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Can you see this all? Formless, 
dark void. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The rest of Genesis 1, the Spirit of God goes forth from the mouth of God, generates creation, shapes it, molds it. And then we see the pinnacle of creation. If you've got your Bibles open, flip to Genesis 2, verse 6. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land yet and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. You can have a seat. So if you look at Acts chapter two, um, all the way in the New Testament, don't go there right now. The story of Pentecost is the surprising story of God breathing his breath into us. But first, in the creation story, all the way back at Genesis, God breathes his breath into the dust. So let's start where God starts at the beginning of the Bible. There we are in the beginning, and the world is without form, and it's void, and it's, it's dark, it's shapeless, it's scattered, it's unable to live, it's unable to grow, it's unable to bear fruit. But the Spirit of God hovers over it, and then God speaks and his breath, the spirit and the word goes forth and generates all of creation. His spirit goes forth along with his word and together they, they, they bring forth and create and shape and bring life and bring vitality to creation. And then at the end of the creation week, God does something amazing. He picks up some dust. Are you with me? Yeah. Picks up a, a, a scoop of dirt, right? Picks up a, just a handful of dirt, shapes it, molds it, and then does what? He breathes his very own breath into the dust. And the spirit brings forth humanity from this pile of dust. And here's what we learn from the creation story. What that means in theological terms is that we are God's image bearers. Let me hear that. Image bearers. He breathes his breath into us so that we can bear his image on earth as in heaven. That's a big job. Big job, huge job. To image God well, we need the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me, just consider the fact that God creates in the first week, then creates us with the intention of taking over his job on week two. That's, that's what your job is. What God did on week one you're supposed to do on week two. That's what it means to be an image bearer in creation. The way that God is in heaven, that's the way you're supposed to be on earth. The way he rules and reigns in his kingdom in heaven, that's the way that we rule and reign on earth. The way that he loves, is the way that we're supposed to love. The joy that he has is the joy that we're supposed to bring to the earth. This is what it means to be an image bearer. You could think of it this way. You are essentially God's trumpet 
You have been designed by God to be filled with God's breath so that you can fill the earth with God's music. You know this. This is, this is why we have language for this, even if you don't believe in Christianity. When, when our lives feel horrible, we say things like, I feel empty. Right, we have language for this. We're designed to be filled so that we can bear God's image. But you probably know the story in Genesis. It all goes wrong really quickly. What ends up happening is that Adam, rather than bearing God's image, what Adam does is he gets out of the way. Okay. There's, <laughs> I'm criticizing myself. Okay, I'm not picking on anybody right here. Okay. There's this phrase in popular Christianity that I'm not a huge fan of, okay? I caught it coming out of my mouth uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and I paused and I was like, is that actually true? Is that actually biblical? And uh, the phrase, you, you hear it a lot and it sounds super spiritual is, man, I just need to get out of God's way. You ever hear that? It sounds super religious, right? It sounds super spiritual. I, gotta, I just got to get out of... And there's a sense in which the, the phrase makes a ton of sense, right? Sometimes people say that in order to kind of express the need to hold their plans loosely or to hold their ambitions loosely or to not control outcomes. And that's really good. You should like not try to control outcomes. Um, but the problem with that is, is the Bible, okay? It's like literally God created you to bear his image in, in the world. God didn't design you to get out of the way. You're an image bearer. Not only did God not design you to get out of his way, you are the way that he rules and reigns on earth. Don't get out of the way. Look at Genesis 3. The serpent deceives Eve. Where's Adam? He's not there. He's not loving his wife. He's not with his wife. He's not bearing God's image to his wife. Where's Adam? He got out of the way. See how this works? Getting out of God's way isn't God's plan for your life. It's the serpent's plan for your life. The serpent wants you out of the way so that he can fill the world with lies and deceit and death rather than God's image bearers filling it with music. So this is where everything goes wrong. Adam gets out of the way and in his place, sin enters the world and creation essentially collapses back into darkness. That's the story of the Old Testament is it begins with creation and it tends towards decreation. Things go from bad to worse. Cain murders Abel. The sin of humanity gets so bad that God sends a flood. God calls Israel to himself, but they constantly screw up and collapse back into darkness. If you read the story of God's people, Israel and the Old Testament, they're basically a masterclass of what you can do without the spirit. Nothing. If there's no Pentecost, look at Israel. There's no power. The whole Old Testament tells the story, right? God sticks with Israel. He gives them kings to rule over them, but the kings use their power for their own lusts. Okay, so he gives them priests to care for people, but the priests are selfish and they feed themselves. He gives them prophets to tell the truth, but the people hate the truth, so they end up killing the prophets. It's a freaking nightmare. The whole Old Testament, not just Israel, the whole Old Testament is basically a masterclass on what you can do without the Holy Spirit. Nothing. You read the story of the Old Testament, and it's like... If there's no Pentecost, there's no power. Just read it. He gives them a temple so that he can live with them, 
but things get so bad that God, the Holy Spirit, has to withdraw and depart from the temple. He gives them the law to guide their lives. All we can do is break it. Just screw up everything, right? He pitches us a softball and we whiff onto it. He makes Israel into a unified people for himself, but because of their sin, they're conquered and fractured into exile and captured by other nations. Things get so bad that eventually the Old Testament ends in terrifying darkness. God's spirit departs from the temple. The people are in exile and the world for 400 or so years doesn't hear from God. It's silence. Utter darkness. It's as if creation has devolved back into the primordial soup of Genesis 1. Formless and void. Darkness filling the earth. But what does God do when things are formless and void? What does God do when things are dark? He's the God of creation. So then, in the darkness... God sends his son, Jesus, who lives the perfect life as the perfect image bearer. Jesus fills the earth for a momentary 33 years with God's music. He conquers sin by dying on a cross. He's victoriously resurrected from the dead. And after Jesus' resurrection, he ascends to heaven and promises that even though he's leaving, he's not leaving them alone. Even though he's leaving... He's not leaving them alone. In fact, what he promises to do is to send them his own spirit. He promises to send them the Holy Spirit in fullness and forever. And this is the story of Pentecost. That's what we're celebrating next week. Seven weeks after Jesus' death on the cross, God's people gathered together for Pentecost. They all gathered in one place and they waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised he would send when he ascended to the throne. And so as they huddled together in Acts chapter two, the spirit of God hovered over them. The same way that the spirit of God hovered over the waters in Genesis one. And just like Genesis, just like the beginning, together they waited. Like creation without form, like creation void of life, they waited. By the way, without the Holy Spirit, you are able to do exactly as much as the formless and void creation can do in chapter one. What can it do without the Holy Spirit? Well, it's unable to grow, it's unable to bear fruit, and it's unable to live. Without the spirit, creation is dust, lifeless, powerless, impotent, just like you. It doesn't matter how you calculate it doesn't matter how you crunch the numbers. doesn't matter how you add it up. Without the Holy Spirit, what you can do always amounts to zero. Nada. Without the Holy Spirit, you too are void. Unless you're filled. But not filled with just anything. There's a, 
you, you guys probably heard this growing up. There was a riddle I heard growing up that always used to, it always used to bother me because I could never figure it out. The, the riddle was, uh, what can you add to a barrel that makes it lighter? What you, how, you can't add anything to a barrel that makes it lighter. And then finally, somebody told me the punchline, a hole. I was like, I hate that riddle. It's also true. Turns out, and this is a theological riddle for you. What can you fill yourself with that will make you emptier? Lots of things. Sin. The world. What can you fill yourself with that'll make you emptier? Yourself. I, I went on a really bad bender when I was poor in college. It was a ramen noodles bender. Not like the good ramen noodles, you know, that they've got like in downtown Des Moines right now that are super hip, like the craft ramen noodles. I mean like the 25 cent ramen noodles. So I was poor, right? And I was in college. And so I just went on a bender where for like three weeks, all I would eat was ramen noodles. I don't know if any of you guys went through that phase in college, but here's what I learned from that phase in college. You actually, there's something about ramen noodles where you actually feel hungrier after you eat them. (laughs) <laughs> it's like filling a barrel with a hole. That's what the world is like. It's just ramen noodles. You fill yourself with it and you're like, wow, not only did they not satisfy me, but I'm like, I'm hungrier. So there the disciples are huddled together on Pentecost with the need to be filled. Just like creation in Genesis one, they are powerless, but expectant. Like the formless and void creation in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit hovers over the people of God who are empty but hungry. And just like the creation story, once more on Pentecost, God breathes again. But unlike Genesis, in Acts 2, he doesn't breathe his breath into the dust. You would expect him to, right? To just give up on humanity, give up on image bearers, like burn it all down to the ground and then start over with a fresh scoop of soil. That's what you would expect, right? But the, the surprising story of Pentecost is that he doesn't breathe his breath into the dust. He breathes his breath into us. So he picks up the disciples like a trumpet fills them with his very own breath so they can go and be witnesses in the world. What's it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be a new creation because of the Holy Spirit? What goes down in Acts chapter two exactly? Carlos is gonna answer all those questions for us next week. So tune in next week. And until then, here's some good news for you. You were made to be God's trumpet. to fill the earth with his music, to imitate him, to show what the the Lord is like to the world, to show the world his joy, to show the world his love, to fill the earth with his music. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, you were made to be God's trumpet, not the world's wind-up toy. You're not a wind-up toy. You weren't made to just be filled with a little pre-programmed song that everybody else in the world is singing so that you could be wound up, sing some tinkering 10-second song that eventually peters out. You're not a wind-up toy. 
You're God's trumpet. You were designed to be filled with God's breath so that you could fill the earth with his music. And you know you're made to be filled, right? Every affection in you, every feeling in you, every intuition in you knows, you know that you weren't just made to exist, right? You know you were made to be filled. You don't create trumpets so they can sit in the case and gather dust. They're supposed to be played. I actually think my trumpet is back there right now. Joseph, oh, you're, is my trumpet back there right now? It is, okay. Just gathering dust, right? I should get, my parents brought it one day and they're like, hey, Cole, we thought you might want this now that your church has a building. I was like, why? Why would I want that? And my mom is such a sweetheart. She goes, well, you know, I thought maybe your church is so nice. Maybe they'd want to hear you play it some Sunday. I was like, in what galaxy on the planet earth filled with real human beings? What would these, you want, these people don't want to hear me play the trumpet, mom. Do you know what would, (laughs) do you know what would happen to our tithing? We got a, we got a mission to move forward. Okay. You're not supposed to be just stuck in a case to gather dust, right? It's not what a wine glass is designed to do. When a wine glass just sits there on the shelf and gathers dust, it's not fulfilling its purpose. You're a wine glass. You were made with the explicit intention of being filled. Not filled with seven up. Right? Not even like the Baptist would try to tell you with grape juice. You were made to be filled with really, really good wine. You were made to be filled with the Holy Spirit to nourish and bring joy to the, to the world. And if you don't feel that way, when life sucks, we say things like, I feel hollow. And those feelings of inner emptiness are not a mistake. They're God's way of shouting to the empty chamber and the hollow pit in your heart. I know you feel empty. Let me fill you. God knows. He knows that there's no power without Pentecost. He knows that with the Holy Spirit, you struggle and trip and fail and fall and break his law. He knows that when it comes to bearing your image, your last chair trumpet. You fake it a lot, don't you? But the essential question of Christianity, and this is where the good news is at. The essential question of Christianity is not, are you good at being a Christian? The essential question of Christianity is not, are you a moral person? Who cares? Well, you should be, okay, actually. But it's certainly not, are you well-behaved? Right? The essential question of Christianity isn't even, are you a religious person? All those questions fail. Throw them all out. The essential question that Christianity poses is, do you have the Holy Spirit? Jesus died to take away all of your sins and to cover you with his very own righteousness and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you know what that means? That means that, yes, you were designed to be God's trumpet, but Jesus has paid for all of your failures and all of your mistakes. And that means that you don't actually have to play the trumpet perfectly. You don't have to pretend while you're playing the trumpet. You certainly don't have to become first trumpet 
because of the gospel, and I'm going to quote my dad once more, because of the gospel of Jesus, God doesn't care how good you are at playing the trumpet. He just wants to hear you play. So let's go fill the earth with his music. And Carlos next week is going to tell us what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that there would be anticipation and expectation in uh, Pentecost Sunday next week. I know people in here feel cynical. It's just another Sunday. Who cares? And so I pray that a mighty work of your Holy Spirit would happen in this room right now where all of the cynicism is chased away and in its place is expectations. Yeah, maybe it will be just like every other Sunday. Maybe it will be a mediocre Sunday. Maybe it will be a poor Sunday. But maybe there will be a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And maybe we will be filled with life and joy and love. And maybe it'll be the Sunday where our lives radically change. So in Jesus' name, fill us with expectation. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Cole.